Wir sagen, jedes Projekt alles möchte gewesen, drei Projekte möchte alles. Jedes Wort möchte Chosbe, Hillel, Hörs, Gewiss, Shammai. The following cases are arguments which Shammai had with Beis Hillel, and Beis Hillel retracted their opinion in order to agree with the opinion of Beis Shammai. And then in the next three Mishnahs, we're going to see four different cases where this occurred, and the Rambam explains that the point of the Mishnahs here is to tell us and to show how even the greatest people, the greatest Talmud Chachomim, whose opinion is an extremely valid opinion, when they saw that they were wrong, they were ready to admit it because they were searching only for the truth of Torah. And once again, the cases are related to very different areas of Halacha, And the first example is Takonas Agunois. What is Takonas Agunois? So in general, in order for testimony to be accepted in based in order, in order to establish a particular fact as being true, two witnesses are necessary. Now the exception to that is what is known as Takonas Agunois, and that regards testimony about a particular woman's husband that he is dead. In order for her to be able to remarry another person, we need testimony to establish that he is dead. And not only is one witness instead of two witnesses enough, but the Mishnah Yuvama says that even the woman herself, if she comes and testifies that her husband is dead, she is allowed to remarry another man based on that testimony. And this is to prevent her from being an Aguna, hence the name Takonas Agunais. An Aguna is a woman who is not able to remarry because we're not sure whether her husband is dead or not. Now this Mishnah is also found at the end of Masechus Yevomus, and the Mishnah says, so, A woman who comes from abroad, the Omra, and she claims in front of Beistin, Bali, my husband died, says the Mishnah, because of this special Takonas Agunais, Tinose, she's allowed to remarry another man. As well as that, if her husband didn't have any children, and he dies, so there is a mitzvah of Yibum. Yibum is where the, the dead man's brother marries the dead man's wife, the widow, And the idea is sort of to continue the legacy of the man who died. And in general, it's forbidden for a man to marry his brother's wife. Only in a case of Yibum, where the brother died without any children, does it become permitted and indeed a mitzvah to do so. So the Mishnah says, even if he has no children and the halach would be that she needs to marry the husband's brother, if she testifies Mes Bali, my husband died, to Siabim, she is allowed to do Yibum based on that testimony. We only heard this halacha about a case and a story where she comes from the harvest. Meaning, when exactly was this halacha stated? When did the Rabbonon introduce this halacha? It was based on a story which happened that somebody was out harvesting in the field, he was harvesting grain, and his wife came to a basin and claimed that a snake bit him, and he died, and the basin sent messengers back there, and they indeed found that she was telling the truth. So at that point, the basin said, we see that a woman doesn't lie in these situations. She's very much not likely to lie. The halacha is that if she's, if the husband later on comes, her original husband, and we see that he's still alive, she is obligated to be divorced from both her original husband and her new husband. And there are many other consequences as well, which can severely affect her. So she's not likely to make this up. And she's likely to investigate the matter properly to make sure that indeed her husband is dead. And because of that, if she comes and claims that her husband is dead, we allow her to remarry. But according to Beis Hillel, that's only in a story which is similar to this story, where he was out in the fields, which is a place where he can indeed be killed by a snake. And it was in that city, so she knows that the matter can be investigated by other people as well. Only in a case like that do we have this special law of accepting even just one witness. However, Obviously, this law was stated 
whether she comes from a harvest of grain or a harvest of olives. If her husband had been harvesting olives, obviously there'd be no difference. So in the same way, it applies It would also apply if she comes from abroad, and not only from that same country. So even in the case which the Mishnah is talking about, where she came from abroad and claimed that her husband died whilst being abroad, even in that case, she alone would be believed and she would be allowed to, re- to remarry another man. They only talked about a case where he was harvesting grain because that's the case which actually happened in that original case. But the law was stated even in many other different cases. And indeed, Bishilal retracted and taught like Bishamai's opinion. Now the next argument between Bishamai and Bishilal also concerns and the question is, to what extent do we believe her? Bishamai and Bishamai say, Tinose, she's allowed to remarry, and she's also allowed to take her kasuba, which is the amount of money which is promised to her at the time of marriage. Upon being divorced or widowed, she'll receive a particular amount of money from the husband. So in the same way as we believe that she is dead to allow her to remarry, we also believe that he is dead to allow her to collect the kasuba, which is just a matter of money. However, we still, I mean, we still say, she can remarry, but she cannot take her ksuba, because the whole point of this Takonis Agunais is that it's a special exception to the rule of generally requiring two witnesses, because we don't want her to get stuck and not be able to remarry for the rest of her life, due to not having enough evidence of her husband's death. But this exception was only made for that. Concerning a monetary matter of her receiving her kasuba, there's no reason to make an exception, and therefore we remain with the original law that she can only receive the kasuba in that situation if there is enough evidence, the regular requirement of having two witnesses, that her husband is indeed dead. But you've permitted a prohibition of having illegal relations. She could be a married woman. If she has relations with another man, that's one of the most severe prohibitions. And you're allowing that. So, also, should you not allow and permit a monetary matter, which is much less severe? Omlehem Beisilel, Beisilel said to Beishamai, that argument makes sense, but even you have to agree with me that we see that the dead man, or the, so, the supposedly dead man's brothers, don't enter into his inheritance and receive inheritance from him based on her testimony. Even you agree that it's only said regarding her that she's allowed to remarry, but the ones who are first in line to inherit this dead man would not do so based on her testimony. Even, even you, Beishamai, agree with that. So we see that even though that's a monetary matter, this Takonis Agunois was not extended to monetary matters. Omlehem Bishamai Bishamai said, you're right, but I've got a different argument. We can learn from the that which is written in her kasuba, the document which is written at the time of marriage, which says that she'll receive this amount of money upon being divorced or widowed. Because he writes in that document for her, that when you become permitted to marry somebody else, i.e. when she's divorced or widowed, then you should take, then you can take that which I'm writing to you, that amount of money. So you see that as soon as she becomes permitted to marry somebody else, and we're ex- considering her a widow for that, that is when she receives her kasuba, and Chos Bishol is good with Shammai. Bishol retracted their opinion and taught like the opinion of Bishamai. Somebody who is half a non-Jewish slave and half a free man. When a non-Jewish slave is freed, he becomes Jewish. But over here, he's only half freed. How would that be? If, for example, you have two partners who jointly own a slave, and one of them frees him. In such a case, says the Mishnah, Quite simply, he should serve his master, the one who has not yet freed him. He should serve him one day, and he should serve himself the next day. We will turn at the days, one day he's a slave, one day he's not a slave. Do Bishilal, that is the opinion of Bishilal. Omlehem Bishamah, Bishamah said to them, You fix up the problem to do with his two owners, 
But there's Atmalid Kantem. You haven't fixed the problem with the man himself, the slave himself. Why? What problem is there regarding him? Because he's not able to marry a non-Jewish slave or a non-Jew because he's now half freed already. And a freed slave is not allowed to marry a non-Jewish slave. But at the same time, he's not able to marry a regular free Jewish woman because he's still half a non-Jewish slave. So the bottle should he not be should he not get married at all? But the entire world was created to be fruitful and multiply, to have children and inhabit the world. As the Pasuk says, Hashem didn't create the world to be empty, rather he created it to settle the world. So we need to make sure that he's able to get married and have children. Rather to fix this big problem. We force the remaining owner of the slave to free him and to make him to a fully free man so that he's able to marry a regular Jewish woman. And we write a document for half of his value, meaning that the slave, once he gets enough money, needs to pay that owner who just freed him half of his worth because he freed him in order to solve this problem. And therefore, Indeed, Bis Hillel retracted their opinion and started to teach like Bis Shammai's opinion. This is quite a complicated Mishnah regarding the laws of Tumah, impurity. And there is a very big difference between an earthenware utensil made from clay to other materials. That is, that all other materials can become Tomei both from the outside of the item and from the inside. However, earthenware utensils can only become Tomei from the inside. So, for example, if you have an earthenware bowl, if something Tomei touches the outside of the bowl then it won't become Tomei. If it touches the inside of the bowl, then the entire bowl will become Tomei. Now, as we've seen already in this Masech, the one way for Tumah to be transferred is via Tumas Oihel. If, let's say, you have a dead body in a room, then anything under the same roof becomes Tomei from that dead body. Now, the way we sort of look at it is it's as if the entire room became full of Tumah. And it follows that an earthenware utensil, which is totally sealed up, such that there's no opening to the inside of that earthenware utensil, it won't become Tommy because the entire air is filled up, but that's all only touching the outside of the utensil. Now, an Amha'oretz is somebody who is considered ignorant of many of the halachas, including the laws of Tumah, and because of that, anything that he owns, we assume is considered to be Tommy on a low level, but Tommy. And because of that, if somebody borrows a utensil from an Amha'oretz, he would need to put it in a mikvah in order to purify it before using it. That's not so simple. There are certain high levels of tumor, such as tumor which comes from a dead body, and to get rid of that tumor, it's not enough just to put it in the mikvah. There's a seven-day purification process, where on the third and seventh day, you put the ashes of a pirate tumor on it, etc. But either way, it takes seven days, and usually people don't borrow things for so long, and therefore one wouldn't borrow from Amha'aretz an item which had become Tomei from a dead body. And in general, we would trust that Amha'aretz whether it had indeed become Tomei from a dead body or not, even though we don't trust him regarding lower levels of Tuma. Now, because his utensils are considered to be Tomei, if you have a sealed earthenware utensil, and inside it are certain items... But they're all inside, and the earthenware utensil is totally sealed. And it's inside a room where there's a dead body. The things inside should generally be tahar. They should remain pure, because the earthenware stops the tumor getting in. However, if the earthenware itself is Tomei, there's another important word of introduction, if the earthenware itself is Tomei, then even if it's sealed, it won't stop the tumor getting in and making the things which are inside it Tomei. And because of that, an Amha Oretz's earthenware utensils 
would not stop the things getting in, and something which would be inside the earthenware utensil, even if the earthenware utensil is totally sealed, would become Tommy from a dead body. Now, in general, one is able to borrow something from an Amaharetz, because he can trust him that it'll tell him whether it became Tommy from a dead body or not. But an Amaharetz is likely to think, he knows there's a, a law out there that an earthenware utensil which is sealed totally stops things becoming Tommy inside. So he'll think that even in that situation, it's, it doesn't become Tommy from the dead body. So even if that happened, he's not going to tell the person borrowing it from him that that happened, because he'll think that it didn't become Tommy. Even though in reality it did, because his earthenware utensil was considered to be Tommy. The question is, what about an earthenware utensil which belongs to somebody else? According to his Shammai, even in that case, Mijabonon, the things inside would become Tomei, even though the earthenware is totally pure, so that the Amaharetz will now not think that the halacha is that the earthenware always protects the things inside from becoming Tomei. The Rabbonin getting rid of that law. So the Amaharetz will know that, which means that in a, such a case where the Amaharetz's earthenware utensil was totally sealed and inside a room with a dead body, he will tell the person borrowing it from him that it became Tomei from a dead body, because earthenware no longer protects things from becoming Tomei, even when it's totally sealed because of this Mijabonon law. So again, Mijabonon, all earthenware utensils, even not belonging to an Amaharetz, do not protect the things inside it from becoming Tomei, even if it's totally sealed, rather the things inside it would become Tomei, if it's under the same roof as a dead body. And this is in order that the Amaharetz will tell the person borrowing the utensil, the things inside the utensils from him, that indeed it became Tomei from a dead body, so that the person borrowing it won't actually borrow it, unless he's borrowing it for a long time, then he'll purify it. Now, all this having been said, something which somebody never borrows from an Amaharetz, and that is things which are not able to be purified, such as food. Food, you can't just dip, dip, dip into a mikvah and purify it. And the same goes for earthenware utensils. Another unique halacha about earthenware is that it can't be purified, unless you actually smash the utensil. So things like that, since anyway we're never going to borrow from an Amaharetz, there's no reason to decree that the earthenware is not going to protect those things which are inside it. Because the whole reason why Mijabonon earthenware is not going to protect the things inside it from becoming Tomei is because of a case where somebody's borrowing something from an Amaharetz, and we want to make sure that the Amaharetz is going to tell him if it became Tomei from a dead body in such a way. And the Amaharetz doesn't realize that all of his things are Tomei, he thinks that they're Tahar, and he knows there's a Halacha, the Tahar earthenware protects the things inside it from becoming Tomei. And therefore, Mijabon, we say that no, earthenware we're going to consider, even pure earthenware we're going to say that it doesn't protect the things inside it from becoming Tomei. And that way, the Amaret is going to tell the person borrowing the utensils from him that indeed it became Tomei and was not protected by the earthenware around it. But it follows, therefore, that things which somebody would never borrow from Amaharetz, there's no reason to decree. And therefore, those things we're going to see, there's no Jabonan law said about them, and therefore, the original Midoraisa law still applies, that pure earthenware, Tahar earthenware utensils, if they are sealed, will stop Tume getting into the inside of the utensil, and making that which is inside Tome. So there's quite a complicated Mishnah, now let's see this inside. It says, Mishnah Matzalakol, an earthenware utensil saves everything inside of it from becoming Tome, as long as it itself is Tahar. According to Bishilel, and that indeed is the Midoraisa law. However, it only protects food, drink, and other earthenware utensils inside of it from becoming Tome, because these things cannot become pure. They can't be purified once they've become Tome, which means that nobody would ever borrow it from an Amharetz, because in order to use it, it's Tome. 
So in order to use it, they would first purify it. But if you can't purify it, they would never borrow it from an Amharitz. And as we explained, if you would never borrow it, there's no reason to make the decree Midrabonon that it shouldn't protect the things inside of it from becoming Tomei. Omlehem Bessil Bessil said to them, Ma, What is your reasoning, Bess Shammai? Omlehem Bess Shammai said to them, because it's Tomei due to an Amharetz, meaning in a, in a case where an Amharetz has these utensils, it will be Tomei, and it wouldn't protect the things inside, and because of that, the same thing applies to all utensils, Mijabonon, the Inkli Tomei and a Tomei earthenware utensil doesn't stop the Tomei from getting in. Bissil said to them, But surely you also agree that the food and the drink inside of it Remains Tahar. Why, why do you say that? said to them, When we said that the food and drink, and the same goes for other earthenware utensils, when we said that these things remain Tahar, for the Amorites himself, we are considering it Tahar. Meaning, nobody else is going to use it, because these things can't be purified. If they can't be purified, no one's going to borrow them from an Amaretz. So La'atzma, only for the Amaretz himself, are we saying this law, because it only applies to him. So there's absolutely no reason to make this whole decree, which as we explained is only a decree based on the fact that other people are borrowing it from him. But when you, Beis Hila, wanted to say that even other utensils, everything inside of it should remain Tahar, you're making it, you're saying this law that it's Tahar for you, meaning for the person borrowing it from the Amaretz and for the Amaretz himself. Meaning, in a case where there are items which people would borrow from Amaretz, then there is a reason to make this whole decree as we explained earlier on. And Chosbeth Hill hosted with Shammai, but Hill retracted their opinion and later on agreed with that which Shammai had said. The first mission of this parak also discusses the law of Tumah and Tara, of impurity and purity, and there are different levels of Tumah. The most severe level of Tumah is Aviyah Vaisa Tumah, literally the grandfather level of Tumah, and that is a dead body itself. Somebody who touches that becomes an Avha Tumah, which is also a primary level of Tumah, literally meaning the father Tumah. Somebody who touches that becomes a Rishain Tumah, one degree removed from that primary source of Tumah, the person who came into contact with a dead body. And most things can only go up to becoming a Rishan Latuma. Food can become a Shani Latuma, which means that if it comes into contact or receives the Tuma in a different way from the Rishan Latuma, it will indeed become Tomei. And the next level is Truma. Truma is the more holy food which Koyanim receive from other people as a gift. It has a high level of sanctity, it needs to be pure, and Truma can become Tomei even to a third degree removed from the Avatuma. If the Truma touches a, something which is a Shani Latuma, it will also become Tomei as a Shlishi Latuma, third degree removed. And Karbonos can also become a Shlishi Latuma, Karbonos can even become a, a Revi Latuma. Another level, be it as it may, the Mishnah says, Rebichanino, the deputy Kohen Godoil, testified four different halachas, the first of which is in this Mishnah. For all of the days of the Kranim, in the Besamikdosh, they didn't withhold themselves from burning meat, which became Tomei from a Vlad HaTumah, which in this case refers to a Sheni Latumah. So something touched Sheni Latumah, the carbon meat itself became a Shlishi Latumah. They didn't withhold themselves from burning that, 
with meat which became tummy from an avatuma, which itself was a rishinatuma. Even though whilst they were burning it, the rishinatuma would touch the shishinatuma and it would become a shenilatuma. Something which touches the rishinatuma becomes a shenilatuma, a second degree level of, tr- of tumor. And it's forbidden to make carbon meat tomei, or even more tomei than it was until now. However, since anyway it is being destroyed and being burnt, so they allow themselves to do this, even though they were adding one degree of tuma onto the shlishi latuma. In all the days of the Kranim in the Besamikdash, they didn't withhold themselves from lighting oil, which had become invalidated from touching a Tavul Yom. A Tavul Yom is somebody who has gone through his purification process and has been through to the Mikvah. He's just waiting until nightfall to become fully Tahar. Be as it may, somebody who touches something which touches a Tavul Yom would become a Shlishi Latuma. So the oil was a Shlish Latuma, but ne'er Shlinobitmeis. On a lamp, the thing which holds the wick, the fire, the oil, and that lamp became tome from a dead body, which means that the lamp itself is an av hatuma. So over here, it's turning the shlish latuma into a risha latuma. It's jumping two levels, not just one. That's why Akiva is adding on. Even though once again over here we are adding tuma to something which is tome, we're adding levels of tuma to carbon meat. They still permitted it.